Hear the word of God from Genesis 2, Exodus 20, and Hebrews 4. You can follow along in your own Bibles or on the screen. Genesis 2, 1 through 2. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. Exodus 20, 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor daughter, neither your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Hebrews 4, 1 through 13. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obey. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Good morning. I'm Danny, one of the pastors here at Waypoint, and it's a joy and an honor to preach God's word to you. I'm also a campus minister to international students with a crew at Duke University, and um, I love international students. I love preaching God's word, and I also need rest. I'm pretty tired right now, so uh, this is a good, a good. Uh, this was a good exercise for me to have to work through this passage. Let's pray. God, just be with me as I speak on this powerful uh, passage, and and may we learn just a short, just a small glimpse, and see what it means for us to dwell in your rest, to have this Sabbath day rest. In your name, we pray. Amen. 
So I'm going to ask you, if you have a phone and uh, you're not a doctor or you don't have kids in childcare or something, and there's no, absolutely no reason why somebody needs to uh, get in touch with you in the next 30 minutes, this should be a shortcoming, uh, hopefully, turn it off and like get it away from you. We're just doing an experiment. And uh, just do that. And, and the, the goal of this is just to see, every time you think about looking at your phone, just, just kind of record that in your head, like how many times in the next 30 minutes, because I'm, I'm, I'll be honest, I'm pretty addicted to looking at my phone. And I'll say it's just for the clock, but it's, it's for other things. So <laughs> go, ahead and, go ahead and do that, just, just as an experiment as part of the overall theme of the sermon. So we're in a sermon series on Hebrews. A few weeks ago, Pastor Lawrence uh, showed us the big picture of Hebrews and taught us on Hebrews 1, proclaiming that Jesus is better. If you forget everything you remember about Hebrews, you can always remember Jesus is better, better than anything in the Old Testament that's pointing to him, and, be- and that's what they were struggling with, and better than anything in this world. Jesus is better. He is what we need. Uh, we looked at how Jesus came down to us. Last week, we looked at how Hebrews shows us that we're members of God's house, and we're called to build each other up as we advance God's kingdom. And today we're looking at Hebrews 4, a passage filled with warnings and promises about biblical rest. We're a busy and tired culture, and many of us are in need of rest, or at least in need of knowing how to balance life's demands and work and rest. Amen? But, all right. Um, I believe God is going to speak to us this morning through this powerful and important passage. So when I was a child in the 80s, uh, we moved around to a few different cities in Florida and Georgia. I went to different schools, and we lived in different cities. My parents didn't listen to pop music, but every once in a while I'd hear the pop station. And uh, no matter what city I was in, one thing I noticed was that every Friday noon around 5 o'clock, these pop stations would play a variety, like a medley of choruses from these songs about it being Friday or being the weekend. Um, some of the songs were the original, the R&B song by the OJs from 1976 called Living for the Weekend. Then in the late 70s, there was a disco song and a movie called Friday. Thank God it's Friday. I can actually sing the chorus of these because of this medley that came up every Friday, whether I was in different cities in Georgia or different cities in Florida. Uh, in 1981, there was another hit called uh, by a one-hit wonder band from Canada, and it was Everybody's Working for the Weekend. And actually, in preparation for the sermon, I wrote this, and now this song has been stuck in my head (laughs) for about a week. It's pretty miserable. Um, Then, in the late 80s, another guy came out with Just Got Paid, It's Friday Night. And for those of you who missed the 80s, Justin Timberlake and his boy band, NSYNC, re-released it in 2000, just in case you missed it in 1988. Let's, let's hear the words from the lyrics for working for the weekend. This is the chorus. Everybody's working for the weekend. Everybody wants a little romance. Everybody's going off the deep end. Everybody needs a second chance. And then in 1986, right in the middle of all these weekend songs, the Bengals, this is my middle school years, my awkward years. I'm, I guess I'm still in those awkward years. But uh, come out with a song called Manic Monday, like same as like manic depressant, I guess. Manic Monday, it's just another manic Monday. I wish it was Sunday, because that's my fun day. My I don't have to run day. It's just another manic Monday. These are the same people who sing the Walk Like Egyptian song. Uh, I'm dating myself here, but so, so this is my childhood. I grew up thinking you work for the weekend, because that's what the radio told us. Uh, about five years ago, 
moving ahead to more modern times, not back in the dinosaur ages, but about five years ago, a 14-year-old girl named Rebecca Black recorded in her home and downloaded a video on YouTube about Friday, and it has 117 million views. And then that same year, pop star Katy Perry declared in her song, Last Friday Night, that last Friday night, her and her friends got so drunk, they couldn't remember, but they had a great time, and they did all these fun things, but they couldn't remember any of it. And the song ends with this depressing line, this Friday night, let's do it all again. Um, just a quick Google search, I found over a dozen more popular songs recorded in the last few years with this working for the weekend theme. So it's definitely, even though the 80s are over, it's, it's still here, uh, it's still relevant. They say we're a society that needs rest, as things like smartphones and social media make us busier and more anxious and more restless than ever. But for some reason, whether it's 1978, 1988, or 2018, many people, our culture teaches that the best way to deal with this anxiousness and restlessness is to live for the weekend. At the same time, many of us Christians might sit back and be like, that's not me. I'm not partying and getting drunk with Katy Perry. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I'm not, that's not me. But my question for all of us is, is including myself, is even if we're not partying, are we living for the weekend? Am I working for the weekend? Am I living for a continual personal pleasure, continual personal pleasure and leisure? Or am I seeking the Bible and asking God to guide me in my thinking and my actions about leisure, work, and rest? Then in addition to our culture's addiction to continual personal pleasure and leisure, working for the weekend, we're also struggling with an addiction to continually being plugged in. In many ways, many of us are addicted to our phones, iPads, laptops, and we're always on call and never really rest. And when we do rest, it's normally in the form of escapism based on leisure, like binge watching or Netflix, and not true rest. You guys know about these problems. Every few days, an article pops up on social media, ironically, that about how bad it is that our society never unplugs, but the article's normally you know, trying to get you to read their thing about never unplugging, it's kind of, kind of fun. So this is the culture we live in. I'm not bringing this up to make you feel bad. Some of you have extremely demanding hard jobs and it's okay to look forward to the weekend. That is not a bad thing. I'm just saying, are we letting the culture guide how we think about rest and work and leisure or are we letting God's word God's perfect word, the perfect God who loves us and created us, guide us in this path. Um, so it's okay to be excited about the weekend. Actually, I'm really excited about the Super Bowl tonight. I'm, you know, it's, it's going to be fun for me. I love college football. So during the fall, I love Saturdays. I love to just watch a bunch of games, watch my team and watch other teams. That's okay. I'm not out here telling you not to do that. I'm just saying, let's ask God to help us rethink this. And that's the point of the sermon. What does the Bible have to say about work and rest? And actually, the Bible has a lot to say. Let's look at Hebrews 4, 1 through 7, the passage that Maggie just read. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they, didn't, they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day. And then it goes on and says, therefore, since it's still, this is verse six, there, 
Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again said a certain day, calling it today, for he did this when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. I chose NIV. I actually probably should have chosen a New Living Translation. If you read this in the ESV or the NAS, this is a choppy thing. This is hard to, what is he talking about? And this is deep and theologically rich, rich, but he's talking about rest in multiple levels and multiple layers, referring to a lot of different passages in the Old Testament. And for, so for this morning, what I want to do is just answer three questions from this passage that I hope will help us as we strive to honor God with our lives, with our work, with our rest. The first question I want to answer is, what is the rest that the author, author of Hebrews keeps mentioning? He mentions it 11 times in 11 verses. The second question I'm going to answer is, what is the author exhorting his original readers to do in light of this rest? And the third question I want to answer is, what does this mean for us today? So here we go. Question one. What is the rest that the author of Hebrews keeps mentioning? Uh, when you look at this passage, you realize that the author is using the term rest in a unique way. Let me get a little water. Eleven times he uses the word and while all the ways he is using it are interrelated, a reader will soon realize that they're referring to a few different kinds or levels of rest. I see five kinds of rest mentioned directly and indirectly in the passages that we read. So the first rest. So what I'm going to do, I was a children's pastor and a youth pastor. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pretend like this is a circle right here. And this is one of the five rests. And this is a circle. And this is the second and this is a circle, and this is the third. This is the fourth, and this is where I'm going to preach from most of the time because this is for us now. And then this is the fifth that I believe that is addressed in this passage. So what I'll probably do is run back and forth just to kind of give you guys the picture of this. I was going to put signs up, but I thought, okay. Because this, this is pretty, it's really fascinating, but it's also, yeah, I want you guys to get the picture of what the author of Hebrews is giving us here. So let's go. Here's the five rests. The rest of God on the seventh day. The second rest is the rest God prepared for his people at the creation in the Garden of Eden. The next rest is the rest that God promised to Moses and the Israelites during the exodus from Egypt. The next rest is the rest for the people of God can have today. And this promise was true for David and this promise was true for us. And then the final rest is the ultimate rest that we'll have when Jesus comes and makes all things right and new. And this is an infinite rest. This is bringing us back to the garden rest. So you see the five rests. You see how this passage could be a little confusing? Then at the end, you notice it also has the word of God is living and active, right? The passage we quote a lot about the Bible, but in the context, where does that fit into rest? So I'm going to try to go through all this today and just give you guys an overview of what the passage teaches and then how can we as God's people apply it to our lives. So let me go over here to the rest of God on the seventh day. So we learn about rest in Genesis 2. And that's why I had Maggie actually read that account. It's up there on the screen. This rest is referred back to throughout the Bible. Um, and includes the, it also in the fourth commandment, in the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, this rest in the, sometimes he just says, do not steal. But sometimes he gives a long explanation. And in the one where it says, keep the Sabbath holy, he refers back to this rest of God. I love this explanation, so I'm just going to read it. This is British pastor and theologian Vaughn Roberts. He says this about the rest of God from Genesis 1 and 2. 
In Genesis 1 and 2, human beings are the pinnacle of creation. But rest is the goal of creation. So humans are the pinnacle. They're day six. They're the final thing that God wants to display. But rest is the goal. He goes on to say, the climax of creation comes at the beginning of Genesis chapter 2 with the account of the seventh day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished his work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. The writer of Genesis ends his description of each of the other days with these words. And there was evening and there was morning on the first day. And there was evening and there was morning on the second day. But no such end to the seventh day is recorded. He lives, oh sorry, but no such end is to the seventh day is recorded. He continues in a sense, it continues in a sense, God has rested ever since. He lives in continuing Sabbath seventh on the seventh day. This does not mean he's not working. He continues to sustain his creation. Without him, everything would fall apart. But he has rested from his work of creating. When a job has been done perfectly, there's nothing more to do. Then over here, this is the rest God prepared for his people at creation. And I, these two are interrelated. God creates this rest. He rests, but then he creates a rest for us. And here's what Robert says about that. And he wants human beings to live with him in that seventh day, sharing in his rest and enjoying his perfect creation. That is what we see happening in the verses that follow in Genesis 2, verses 4 through 25, provide a second account of creation, not contradicting, but complementing the, the first. In the first account, human beings are just one of God's many creations. But in the second, the focus is very much on them. It gives us a picture of the goal of creation. Here is life as it was designed to be lived. It is marked by a series of perfect relationships. God is in Trinity. He's in this perfect relationship. He's satisfied in his creation. And God is in perfect relationship with his people. So you see we have this rest of God, this perfect rest that God gives us in the garden. All right, what's the third rest? This is the rest that God promises Moses and the Israelites during the exodus from Egypt. So he says, you will, if, if you, he pulls them out of Egypt and he says, you're going to enter into this rest. And the rest could also be called the promised land. It's this place where they're going to have land. They're going to have freedom. They're going to have a nationhood. They're going to have nation, be a people, and they're going to have flourishing. They were just the descendants of Abraham, the descendants of Isaac and Jacob, the 12 sons. They go to Egypt. They become a large group of people who are in slavery. They come out as like a group of people. They have no nation. They have no place. They have no freedom. And God says, I'm going to give you rest. The sign of the covenant to Noah was a bow. The sign of the covenant to Abraham was circumcision. The sign of the covenant to Moses was rest. You get this land. God's going to give that to them. Now, if you know the story, this passage in Hebrews alludes to it. They wander around. It's only about 200 miles. It takes them 40 years to go the 200 miles. And none of the first generation, except for Caleb and Joshua, enter into the rest. And that's what this passage of Hebrews, it's alluding to this rest, the rest of God, and it's alluding to this this rest that they never really got. Now, I think about us, if you think about today, like America, America was kind of created to be this rest land. If you go there, you get life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. One time I was watching a documentary on the Rose Bowl, which is in Los Angeles, and it said in, the, in like the 40s and 50s, or the 50s when TV came out into the 60s, 
people from cold places in the Midwest would watch the Rose Bowl and see all these people in the Rose Bowl parade, see all these people in short sleeves and be like, I'm in Iowa. I want to move to California. And they all did. That was like the new promised land. Now Raleigh is one of those, right? Headquarters too for Amazon, like we're on the list. Like, so, so this idea of promised land, like we want to enter into this place where we'll have freedom and we'll have hope and we'll have good jobs. That, that's not a bad thing. And God wants to give that to them. They fail at it. They, they get the promised land. And then if you look at the stories, David and Solomon, and, and it falls apart. We're having an Old Testament survey. You can come at 9 a.m. next Sunday in the fellowship hall. Pastor Lawrence will finish the story about Joshua entering them in to the promised land. But you see, they, they never really get into this rest. And the author of Hebrews is showing that there, there was this promised rest. They kind of got it, but they didn't get it. Then he says, now I'm over here, this next rest. And I call this the fourth commandment, Psalm 95, Jesus ordained rest. So this rest is the rest that we can have today. And the psalmist, he, the author of Hebrews says that David declares in the psalm that he can have it today. And he says we can have it today, but it's different. It's a little bit different than this rest. It's, it's similar to these, but we can have it. Like, they, they kind of failed to get this. They lost the promised land. But we can have this today, and we can have this rest. And I call this the fourth commandment rest, the Psalm 95 rest. Psalm 95 is the passage that the author of Hebrews is referring to that's about David. And I call this, and then I call this the Jesus ordained rest. So let's look up on the screen. So the first one is the fourth commandment. There, you know, the Ten Commandments. We read this one earlier, so we won't read it now, but it talks about rest. It says that this is, we're still to obey this. Now, we obey this through Jesus, uh, so we don't legalistically obey the Sabbath. We obey it through, as New Testament people through Jesus, and we'll look at that in a second. Then the next part of this go back, goes to the Hebrew 4 passage where he's referring to Psalm 97. Today, if you hear my voice, like, don't harden your hearts, that David could actually enter into the rest. Joshua didn't fully give him the rest, but David could enter into it. The people at the time of David could enter into this rest, and we can enter into this rest. And I want us to hone in on a really awesome passage, and it's about Sabbath and rest. And this is in Matthew 11. Don't pull out your phones. Remember, it's going to be up on the screen. So some of you have paper Bibles, old school. Where's my old school folks? Hold up your paper Bibles. There you go. And some of you, it's okay to have your, your Bible on your phone, but uh, it'll be up on the screen. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Amen. I could just, all right, let's, sermon's over, let's go home. Jesus said it, it's true. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why do people move to Orange County or the Rose Bowl? Why do people move to the Triangle? Why do people come to America? They're trying to make their burden less light. And that's not a bad thing. Everybody wants what's best for their families. But ultimately, where, where is our burden going to be light? And where, where are we going to find this rest? In Jesus. Interesting thing. This is the end of chapter 11. I don't put it up here. Next, the exact passage right after this. Matthew puts these in on purpose. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Matthew 12. At that at about that time, Jesus was walking through some grain fields on the Sabbath. He and his disciples were hungry, so they began to break, breaking off some of the heads of grain and eating them. But some Pharisees saw them do it and protested, Look, your disciples are breaking the law by harvesting grain 
on the Sabbath. Jesus later goes on to condemn them, and he says, I want you to show mercy, not sacrifices, for the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Matthew puts these back to back on purpose. This is not unintentional. Matthew is trying to show that Jesus is renewing, showing us what the, the Sabbath isn't a legalistic thing. It's resting in God. And it was always here. Like, we got to get back to this. And they tried to get it here, but David was saying, no, you can have it here. And Jesus is saying the same thing that the author of Hebrews is saying, that you can have this rest now in Jesus. And David, even though Jesus, he was worshiping the pre-incarnate Jesus, he's, he could have that rest because he was resting in God. This rest is with us. The Pharisees wanted, the Pharisees used the breaking of the Sabbath as a way to, to put Jesus on trial. Wow. Jesus goes on trial and is executed, and one of the accusations against him is he's breaking the Sabbath. Jesus says, this is fascinating. He says, if you had a sheep that fell into a well on the Sabbath, wouldn't you pull it out? Of course you would. And how much more value is a person than a sheep? Yes, the law permits a person to do good on the Sabbath. And then Jesus heals the man with the shriveled hand, and then the Pharisees turn and want to arrest him and kill him. So this is, this is Jesus on the Sabbath. So, so this is this fourth rest. Jesus gives us rest. He calls us not to worry. Sermon on the Mount, you know, do not worry about today. Tomorrow has, I mean, do not worry about tomorrow, for today has enough troubles in its own. Um, he says to honor the fourth commandment. Jesus doesn't get rid of the fourth commandment. He tells us to honor it. But he, he says, let me, sh let me, sh don't honor it like the Pharisees did. That's legalism. What would it mean for you to move back to this kind of rest? This kind of rest where you're in relationship with God. Not this rest. Because th this, all the Israelites did was prove that you, that our hard work couldn't get to that. That we needed somebody, we needed God to intervene. And that's this rest that I believe David and the author of Hebrews and Jesus is, is saying. We can live in this rest today. Our hope is here. Our hope is this rest. But we can live in this rest right now. The final rest, the ultimate rest we will have when Jesus comes and makes all things right. In Hebrews 11, we get this long, I'm going to stand over here. In Hebrews 11, we get this list of faith characters. We're actually in this, in this uh, Hebrew sermon series when we get to that list, we're going to go back and analyze and, and look at the different Old Testament characters. It's going to be really, really fun for us. We're going to break from Hebrews and look at that list. Look at Noah. Look at Abraham. But in that list, the end of the list is in the, that section is, is chapter 12, verses 26 to 28. And it speaks of this unshakable kingdom that they could look forward to. So all these people had faith and were anticipating God and excited because they were looking for this unshakable kingdom. Everything in this world is shakable. An if an earthquake came right now, the most powerful buildings that we can build can fall apart in seconds by a powerful earthquake. Everything in this world is shakable. The, Hebrews, the author of Hebrews says that all these people were looking for this unshakable kingdom. Let's look at a glimpse of this unshakable kingdom. Revelation 21. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was gone also. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. Not the, you know, 
LA or the Triangle or America. This, this is our ultimate rest. God's home is among his people. We will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. You see how this is going back to here? God will be with them. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Pastor Lawrence, the dog eat dog world will disappear. And, it will, and there'll be puppies that don't poop and they don't grow to be big <laughs> giant dogs that take over your house. But you'll have a big yard so it doesn't matter. And they don't need an electric fence and they don't poop on other people's yards. This wasn't in my notes, I just made this up. Uh, and after Pastor Lawrence. But this is our hope. There'll be no more sorrow. And the one sitting on the throne said, this is Jesus, look, I'm making everything new. So these are the five rests I believe that the author of Hebrews is pointing us to. What is the author exhorting his original readers to do in light of this rest? And just real quickly, because I want to get to the application. I like to show this is what he originally was trying to, to exhort to them. One, he says there remains a Sabbath rest. So one, he's like acknowledged that there's an actual Sabbath rest today. And it was good for David, and it's good for you. And both David and us, the people at the time reading this, the early Christians, were Jesus was the one who was the reason for this rest. The second, he exhorts them to check their hearts. Therefore, let us make every effort to enter into that rest. And my challenge for you is, do you know Jesus? And if you are a believer, this doesn't mean you're, you can lose Jesus, but it means are you really pursuing his rest? Are you dwelling in him? Are you trying to just make it work and it's failing? Make every effort to enter into that rest. So those are his two main exhortations. Uh, but the author makes a seemingly disconnected statement. And then... For the word of God is alive and active. Why does the author of Hebrews go from talking about rest, these basically five levels, to this? When I was a kid, this was on posters in the Christian bookstore about the Bible. Um, and it never talked about rest. And it, this is a good passage. It, it's about the word of God, which includes the scriptures that we have. But it's also the God, what he's proclaimed, that there is a rest. And what it says is, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than ever, the sharpest sword there is. It penetrates and divide, it cuts right through us. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before his eyes, before the eyes of to whom we must give an account. I'm going to go a little bit on this, but basically all this is saying is, is the, they get the rest, because God just cuts right through it and he says, quit hiding. Acknowledge that you guys need me. Acknowledge me. I can see everything. This is actually a reference to Genesis 3 when, they're, when they hide from God after they sinned and they're naked. And God said, who told you you're naked? And they're hiding. We'll go back to this in a second. God gave David rest. He gave the people in the early church the Hebrews rest and that read this book of Hebrews. Uh, he gives us this rest in Jesus. Um, he covers our shame and our hiding. Um, I'll tell one story about this hiding. So Brian, I didn't ask him, but we, I, we work with international students. So we had a meeting Friday, and our icebreaker was tell us a funny childhood story. And Brian Payne 
he works with me at Duke, and he said a funny childhood story. Like, they did something outside. His brother fell over. They were trying to do a stunt or some trick in a tree. His brother falls over. Brian, pan and he might have broke his arm or something. Brian panics and goes, runs, and hides, right? Sorry, Brian. Thanks for this. was a good illustration. <laughs> he goes and runs and hides. That's what we do. But because God can see everything, we don't need to hide. So we can rest is freedom from hiding. Rest is freedom from hiding. So why is this passage about the word of God cutting right through? Because God can see everything, so we don't have to hide. And if you don't have to hide, you can have true rest. When you're hiding and you're scared, you're not resting. But when, you, when, you're, when you're not hiding and you're confident, you can rest. All right, what does this mean for us today? I don't know how much time I have, so I'm going to try to speed this up. Um, I'm just going to leave this on the screen the whole time. So if you forget what I'm saying, you can just look at the words of Jesus. But what does this mean for us today? So I'm going to read from Andy Crouch. He wrote a book called The TechWise Family. It came out just a few months ago. It's pretty popular. It's one of those small books. And he's pretty extreme. He's not an extreme Christian guy, but in this topic, he feels like we're too addicted to social media and other things. And he's done a lot of research. He worked with the Barna Group to get all the research. And he wrote this book called The TechWise Family. It's pretty good. And one thing about when we, when we endorse a book at Waypoint, whether it's through the sermon or just on the website, it doesn't mean that we agree with everything in that book or that you have to follow everything in that book or that we agree with everything that author ever wrote ever. It's just saying we think that this is helpful for you now and you can use discernment in all these different resources. So just, just to let you know, I think it's a great book. You don't have to go home today and follow everything he says because some of his views are extreme uh, because he really wants us to not be he wants us to have rest, but here's what he says. We are supposed to work and we are supposed to rest. This pattern is fundamental to human flourishing and to the flourishing of the whole world that depends on our care. But it has been disrupted and distorted by human greed and sloth. Instead of work and rest, we've ended up with toil and leisure. And remember, toil was the punishment that Adam took for disobeying. We end up with toil and leisure. And strangely enough, technology, which promised to make working easier and rest more enjoyable, has often had, has, has had the, exactly the opposite effect. If toil is fruitless labor, think of leisure as fruitless escape from labor. I'll read that again. Let me get some more. If toil is fruitless labor, think of leisure as fruitless escape from, leisure, from labor. It is a kind of rest that doesn't really restore our souls. It doesn't restore our relationships with others or God. And crucially, it is the kind of rest that doesn't give others the chance to rest. Leisure is purchased from other people who have worked to provide us experiences of entertainment and rejuvenation. That's a powerful, <laughs> convicting statement. I'll read that again. It says, leisure is purchased from others, uh, from other people who have worked to provide us experiences of entertainment or rejuvenation. Most of us can't do much to change the nature of our work or toil. But there is one thing most of us can do, and all of us are meant to do. It is to rediscover rest, real rest, in harmony with one another, our creator, and all the creation. The biblical word for this kind of rest is Sabbath. Alas, of all the commandments, the Sabbath command may, may be the most persistently and casually broken in our culture. That's powerful words, so he wrote a powerful book, and he takes some strong stands. All right, 
Tim Keller says in his sermon on this passage, when you rest, it's a declaration of your freedom. You're no longer a slave. We need rest. And actually, I'm going to put it on the city. Listen to the Tim Keller. It's a free online, the, his, his sermon on uh, Hebrews 4. He, he goes a little different way than I did it. But I listened to it like six times in process of this because it's, it's just really good. It's really important for us. Um, so what do we need? We need physical rest. We need emotional rest. And we need this spiritual Sabbath rest. And I'll be honest. I have not gotten much sleep this week. I had this sermon. I just had a lot of stuff going on. A lot of stuff on campus. Some things happened. I'm, I'm just having, I'm just dealing with some emotional things right now. I'm just struggling with some stuff that just some things that, some decisions. And I don't know. So it's, it's been hard for me to sleep. I, I popped up this morning at like 530. Not because I'm like, I, I got great rest. Just because I was restless. And I've been asking God, what does it mean? Like right now, I just, it's hard for me to get some physical rest. But, I, but through preparing the sermon, God's given me spiritual rest. I feel closer to him. So in, in preparing this, God's beginning to show me that sometimes physical rest might be impossible. Any, first, any parents remember that first baby? I think by the third baby, we're just like, oh, we have a baby? Oh, wait. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, but that first one, man, I, I used to compare it to being at a lock-in. I was a youth pastor. And when, like, when you're at a lock-in... You're, you you want to go, you're tired and you want to go to sleep, but you know, as soon as you fall asleep, there's like, like whipped cream on your face or, or something. So you can't fall asleep. So you're never really up and you're never really asleep. And there's youth running around the church. And so we may never have a lock-in youth at this church. I don't know. But you're, you're kind of in this daze. And I remember when Maggie was born, it was so awesome. But I remember just being in a daze. I was like, I'd be in a meeting at church and I was like, you were talking to me, and I'm not responding, and I, I was just tired. And Erica was the one who took the brunt of the work. She was the one getting up, feeding Maggie. I was just like the, you know, the sideshow over there, but I was still tired. And um, so sometimes you might not be able to get physical rest. So don't be like the Pharisees and, and make your wife go do everything, and, and you don't get rest. So I'm following the Ten Commandments. You know, that's not what Jesus is talking about. I would, I would argue that the, that the command to rest means that when we get a chance— you can't go at that pace forever, but when you get a chance, get rest. And I was thinking about this even in light of our church, because we do a lot of work with refugees. And some of the refugees, the process for them to get here, they might have gone years without rest. Years. I had a friend, one of the lost boys. We knew him in Boston. He was they, Those are the folks who walked from Sudan all throughout Africa and ended up in Kenya. And he was telling me just some stories about walking. And he had no rest. Lions could kill them murders, people wanted to kill them. I mean, he, he spent years without rest. So I can't just say it's getting physical rest because that would be an injustice to many of my brothers and sisters who are suffering. Now, I don't think that we who can get rest, if, if I'm rested, I'm going to do a better job in loving people and loving my neighbor. So I think the, the command is true. We need physical rest. Then I thought about the next level, like emotional rest. Do we need emotional rest? And how is that different than spiritual rest? And I'd say physical rest and emotional rest are also in the world. Like you can go to Oprah or Lifehacker website or all these things, and they, they talk about these things. And Jesus says, you know, don't worry. So we need to get those things. And, and I believe the command includes that. But then there's this deeper rest, this Sabbath rest. And how do we get that? How do we stay here and, and get this rest that Jesus promised, that, that God 
Now, if you notice, if what I said was true from Vaughn Roberts, like God is still in this rest. It's still going on. His Sabbath rest, even though we sin and broke the relationship, what he's doing through redemptive history, the, the rest is still there. It hasn't left us. You know, I'm going to leave this. I'm not going to give you any points. I'm not going to be like, do this, do that. Obviously, there's prayer, Bible reading, fellowship, community, accountability. If you're in an accountability relationship, you can be vulnerable. You can get rest because you've shared with someone your sin, your brokenness. This is why we have small groups. And we need to go even deeper than small groups where guys get with guys, girls get with girls. People are sharing the deep darkness in them so that we can be vulnerable before others and before God so that we can get rest, get help. Stop sinning. Trust God. There's worship. There's all these ways that we know as Christians how we can do this. But what I would like for us to do as a community, as individuals and as a community, is begin to think, what does this really mean for us? What does it mean for us to have rest? Some of you are extremely busy right now. You might be a student, and you're so busy right now, and then in summer, it's a lot later. You know, I I don't know your circumstance. Some of you are parents of young children. Some of you are taking care of a sick parent or relative or or sibling or or something, so you're tired. This is going to look different for all of us, but what would it mean for us to get that spiritual rest? And and I I was thinking of an illustration, and I think, like, there's work, my job, my leisure, my toil, my fun, all this stuff is up here, but then, and and all this is up here, but then I got to leave that and enter into the spiritual rest. So, I do want to post on the city. So actually, some of you have been reading books on rest. There's about five or six really great books out there uh, that I, I want to leave this to us just to pray right now. What does it mean for you to get rest, to go deep with God and, and get the physical rest and the emotional rest you need? But what would it mean for you to to really take time, take time each day, take time each week and take time each year? That's kind of how God tries to set up this rest system for the Israelites over here. He's like, take time each day, take time each week, take time each year, take time each seven years, take time each 50 years. Because he says, you gotta, you can go through these cycles of feasting and rest. So it's okay. Let's pray through it. Let's think what it means for us. And we're going to prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper. So what I want us to do is, is bow your heads and pray with me.